Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. everybody, welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi, and Lisa Murphy's here to revisit a sort, sort of throwaway comment that came up in a previous episode that, that we were recording. So, oh, I'll let you say hi. Hi! <laughs> Are you going to tell them what the throwaway comment was? I am. Maybe. I thought I'd give them a minute to see if they could remember what it might bonus, be. Bonus points if you right. actually... It's uh, a guessing uh, game. No, it's a guessing game. <laughs> Multiple choice. Yeah, so when Lisa and I recorded earlier about um, structured and unstructured play and that whole thing, we had just a really brief side conversation about the mythology that the customer is always right and how that it really interferes and... and presents a challenge in our field sometimes. So our starting point quote comes from an article, again, from Child Care Information Exchange. This one was in September, October 2017. The article is called Filling in the Gaps, Empowering Parents' Understanding of Play to Support School Readiness. And here we go. I've already preemptively apologized to Alyssa in case I say her name wrong, but okay, written by Alyssa Mwenalupembe. <laughs> I think that's very close. good. Got all the syllables. You, um, so you anyway. said it right. <laughs> Here's the quote. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Alyssa. <laughs> There's an old saying that the customer is always right. I would like to replace that saying with the customer always has a right to express his opinion. Sometimes families want us to do things in the classroom that are not developmentally appropriate, and often directors cave because they do not want to upset a family or lose them to another program. Yes. The end of the quote. <laughs> the end of the quote. The customer is. I I, I love that. Uh, the and and I think as a service based industry, sometimes we'll get tripped up on thinking that, but because they're paying us, that they get the be all end all. You know, to direct how we're running it. And at the end of the day, probably a good percentage of the parents walking in that door are not early childhood educators. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm lovingly reminding Heather, all of your listeners, that with all due respect. We, we have to remember who the professionals are in this situation, and it, it, it's possible to still share what you know about the theory of, of early childhood education and child development um, without being disrespectful. Uh, I, I come back to that age-old adage, I think is how you'd say it, of it's not what you say, but but how you say it. But at the end of the day, they're not early childhood people, and so they can want something all day long, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to implement it. I'm going to sit and listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. It is a, it is a fine line, that idea that they're paying for a service. Um, and I definitely use that as an argument in other places, in other areas, like um, the, the programs that have the rule that the kids have to be there by nine or they can't come for the day. Um, oh yeah. Cause the learning's over. Cause the learning's <laughs> over. Um, when really it's just, you know, any excuse to not have a full classroom today. Um mm. And in that case, I say, yeah, they're paying for childcare, and and if when they, they have every right to be there, ten, then they come at ten. But I think that's a very different conversation. So I wanted to to throw in that there are some nuances to this this idea. But in this case, we are the ones who have some expertise about early childhood, and definitely. Um, 
And and I would actually, I, I don't know how many of your listeners are 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 actually going to pull up the article, but the the one thing I did want to comment on to to Alyssa's actual verbiage is. She, she talks about respecting families means that you truly believe that they want what is best for their children. And I agree with that 100 percent. And you help them reach those goals instead of assuming that you know more than they do just because of your education and experience. I would actually push back a smidge on that. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't I, I think it's about attitude. Her the whole theme of her article is about the, how important and at the heart of our, our service relationships mm-hmm. are. Um, so what I'm about to say needs to be filtered through that assumption that you are constantly deepening the relationships with your with your families. But at the end of the day, we do a lot of times have more education and experience. And and I think it's okay to acknowledge, you know, in a professional manner that, you know, hey, I, I, I've got a lot of training in this field. My take on this has always been what I call that we're professionals in a very delicate mm-hmm profession, which is other people's children. And and just as I don't march into their attorney's offices or their doctor's offices or the construction site or the design center, I don't go in there and say, this is how you should be doing it. But they might sit down and listen to what I'm wanting. Uh-huh. Like right now, I'm, I'm looking, I'm digressing, but yeah. hold on, there's a point. I'm looking <laughs> at a support wall in the middle of Pablo's house here. Uh-huh. And it's from the kitchen to the dining room. And it's a solid wall. And I'm like, I want to bust a hole through that or a door so there's more access or a pass through. And he's like, it's a support wall. <laughs> and I'm like, but I want a window. He's like, you can't have a window there. You can't put a door there because the house will fall down, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, in but my I've view. I've lived in houses with walls all my life, so I know that, about walls. About walls. <laughs> and, and I really like this wall. <laughs> I took care of a lot of walls when I was I in high school. I painted this wall a nice color. Uh, and, and, and I know that's kind of humorous, but yeah. it, at the end of the day, it's kind of exactly yeah. the same thing. I can want that to be a French door all I want. It's not going to be because it wouldn't be best practice. Yeah. And, and I do believe that we have the ethical and professional responsibility to know when it's okay to listen uh-huh. and respond, but not turn into a doormat. Right, right. When I when I was doing this, um, and people who are listening are probably sick of hearing about this zero to three training that I processed that I went through through the, over the last year. But one of the facilitators of that training, uh, Katrina Makasayat, I think maybe I've got her name too. Um, uh, thank you. Who <laughs> was on an episode a few a few back? Um, she said something, and she phrased it so so wonderfully that it stuck with me. But she said. Um, on this same topic, she said, you know, those parents are advocating for their children's educational success, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and we need to keep that in mind. What they're asking for may be out of line with what we know to be good practice, but the intention, we always have to be willing to say this is coming from a good place. Yes, um, yes. And this is what this parent thinks that they're supposed to do, and it's not their fault that they have been given wrong information through marketing or... Their mother-in-law. Or their mother-in-law or pop psychology parenting books or any of that kind of stuff. So, yes. So we have to be prepared to meet them and meet where they attention, are um, and then guide them using our expertise, which is where it becomes tricky. 
Um, I'll, I'll fully share with you that the dog is deciding to whine at I me hear. big time. And uh, <laughs> I, I might I might have to put him on the patio for a quick second. Um, he, he just did that dog ear look at me like, what? Spanish? <laughs> what? Um, but before Heather and I got online to, to record this episode... <laughs> Hold on, let me put it right Hold on one second. Banter, Heather, banter. <laughs> so uh, there, there's a phrase that I have started bringing with me to after every single gig that I do. And, and this topic will always come up, always. You can guarantee that somebody's going to say, well, we know what best practice looks mm-hmm. like, but the parents want this. Mm-hmm. And the response is a nice, tight, concise paragraph as to how if you are in touch and are able to articulate what developmentally appropriate practice looks like and somebody is telling you to deviate from that, you have every right to listen, but then stand your ground. She actually straight up in the quote is ta- – and I'm so sorry that I can't remember who said it um, – but but she's like, who is the? She straight up says like, who is the professional in this scenario? Uh-huh. And and just as a parent might question a doctor in his or her diagnosis or his or her pre- prescribing of a certain medicine, or or just as a doctor wouldn't cave in to give an antibiotic if it's a virus, you know what I'm saying? Just as a, as a parent might push back against that, they might push back against what you're saying as a professional early childhood person. And just as the doctor doesn't cave in, but instead takes the opportunity to deepen the relationship and enlighten the parents. Right. It's not just because I said so. It's not because Lisa Murphy and Heather want this to happen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's because this is what is actually aligned with the research. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a very, very powerful um, a, a, it's a very powerful quote. But it also tags back to something you said the other day when we were recording about how to make the learning visible. And mm-hmm. at, at, at the summary of that particular quote is what she's talking about. It's on us to make it visible for the people who aren't seeing it on their own. Right. Right. And I think, I mean, the article specifically, specifically is talking about school readiness. And I think that is where a lot of this comes into play is parents Mm -hmm. want to see learning. Um, They want that receipt for for what they, you know, what they're paying for. Um, It comes up in other things like sharing the care of an infant that can really come up. Mm -hmm. Parent preferences and discipline, that kind of stuff. It will come up. Um, and, and and talking about specifically the readiness, I'll go back to something I say a lot, which is, you know, what what are we calling readiness and, and yeah. how are we defining that? And 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 I, I I thought a lot about how I wanted to approach this conversation with you today. And something jumped into my brain that I think had fallen out for a while, you know, because that happens. Right. Your brain I, gets I, full I, and it, it prunes, <laughs> it prunes. And then all of a sudden, boom. Something that maybe you thought you pruned, there's there's some reason for it to come back again. Uh-huh. Uh, back in the day, I used to do a, a parent orientation where we would – and I stole this completely from Alfie Cohen. I did not oh. make this up. I stole this from our <laughs> the love of our life, right. Alfie, um, who, who would say – what what and 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 Alyssa uses this language in her article, which is so awesome. That's I think why it, it jogged my memory. Uh-huh. What are your dreams for your children? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, when it is all said and done, how do you want somebody to describe your child? And then you write what they say on a piece of paper behind you, and then you look at them at the end of gathering. And it they never say straight A's. They never say early admission uh-huh. to uh, Ivy League school. They never say uh, a scholarship for football. They never say that. They say. They say like trustworthy and responsible and respectful and humane and loving. And then you look at them after you've gathered all of this, this wall of beautiful words and you say, that's what we're getting them ready for. Yeah, yeah that's great. I just had to write that down because I've got a whole idea now for 
when I go back to work. Definitely. And then, and then here's the strategy. Then the reason why you do it on a piece of paper is because you save it Mm -hmm. and you put it then on the back of your office door, your back of your classroom door, and everybody's going to forget about it until March madness and April madness. When everybody starts freaking Mm -hmm. out, going to kindergarten in the fall. Yeah. Bring that piece of paper out again and say something like, it sounds like there's something you think we need to add to this. Yeah. And at that point, you can have that conversation. If you've been developing the relationship, you can get to the real issue, which is, you know, the kid down the hall started bringing worksheets home in order to get ready. Or the kid down the hall starts doing, signed up for Kumon or some shit, right? You know, and you're able, but you can't. You can't push back in that loving manner if you don't have a relationship with the person sitting or standing in front of you. Right. First, Kumon owes me an apology. I'm just putting that out to the universe because their commercials have ruined so many of my moments headspace. Um, But on the topic of relationships, so what that reminds me of is um, several years ago, I was having some, um, some medical issues and I went to my doctor and I thought that um, I had some useful information for him. So I shared it. And um, part of it was experiential, but part of it was just some symptoms I had heard on like a commercial for, you know, some new drug that was out. And he just outright laughed. And he was like, it sounds <gasps> like you've been watching such and such as commercial campaign. And didn't even go any further with it. And I was so, I never went back to him. I had to like start a whole new doctor search. And that's what I think about when, when a parent approaches me with information that my brain is like, oh my God, that's such bullshit. Yeah. But yeah. If I, I can't, I can't say that. I can, oh, it sounds like you've been watching commercials for educational toys. You idiot. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's not going to get me anywhere. <laughs> so I have to keep that idea of relationship in mind and keep that idea that they're just advocating for their child in the way that they think is best. Yes. And that's where I have to meet them and, and start from there. Um, Which is something we do with their children, right? We're meeting their kids where they right. are, should be. growing them out, should be, yeah. and, and, and going from that point. And, and sometimes I think we forget that that's our job mm-hmm. to do that with their parents as well. Yeah. Or not even their parents, wh- whoever yeah. they're coming with right. as, as well. And, and uh, uh, Alyssa points to it out as well that I, I, that I do, sorry, I'm a little distracted by the fact that the dog might actually need to pee, but we will keep going. Um, I can pause I, if Kane needs to pee. <laughs> oh, we might have to do that. Let me tell you this one story first okay. and then it might be an authentic pause is, is that we used to be allowed, and I might be speaking for my demographic, okay, 49 years old. We used to be allowed to be good with the kids uh-huh. and the director is who had to be good with the parents and right. everybody else. Yes. And, and those days, FYI, listeners, are, are long uh-huh. gone. Yeah, I, I've definitely worked with a couple of teachers who have said, I didn't get into this to work with the adults. Too bad because yeah. they're here. Too bad. <laughs> and that's part of it. Okay. So, I mean, full disclosure, I mean, we had to pause for a minute. Okay. Right, right. <laughs> There's no smooth transition back in from this one. Yeah, sorry about that. And I, I hope I didn't interrupt. I felt we had some good, good, good banter going on back no. there. But, but just, just really quick to get our own selves back on track. I, I do believe that there was a time when we were allowed to just be good with the kids, and and those those days are, are are pretty much over. I mean, mm-hmm. we signed up for the whole kitten caboodle, not just the good kids, not just the nice kids, not just the finger painting, but you. And that I think is why I really believe, and this might be a little off topic, but. Why, why you really have to know why you get up every day and actually yeah. show up to do this. Yeah. Well, and I think there's, there's also an element 
Um, I wonder if there's like a podcast drinking game where they have to take a drink every time I start a sentence with, I think that because <laughs> there's like Heather bingo, Heather podcast, Heather, Heather podcast she... bingo. I think that I'm going to make it right now. Okay, perfect. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, this, the same people in the field, and I certainly have been one of these people, so I feel like it's okay to say this, the same people who are complaining about the parents who are uninvolved and never want to talk and just push their kids through the door and leave are also so annoyed about these families who really want to be that advocate, but they're doing it in a way that's annoying, so it's still mm, not good enough. That's a valid point. That's, yeah, so, so yeah. there's some self-reflection that needs to go in to this, too, as we think about having those conversations. Um, it's, it's, we... If we're talk, going back to readiness, school readiness specifically in this conversation, that's certainly a trigger for me, and I automatically have like a uh, little inner rage that I have to bring into bring into check before I can continue with the conversation. So I've started to just say, what does that look like for you? And that's exactly. like that's a, a useful that's question, but also a good pause for me. <laughs> do you know my story? You might, Heather. I don't know if your listeners do, but uh, when I still owned the child care center in Rochester, I had a mama come through for a tour and she asked me if we were an academic program. Yeah. And full disclosure, like a hundred years ago, I would have gone off on this moral monologue about play and yes. developmentally pro, and I would have scared the bejesus <laughs> out of this woman. And she would have turned right back around and walked away. Oh, that's a no. <laughs> but I've learned my lesson, right? And so I said, you know, we're going to finish our tour. And while we're on the tour, I would like for you to think about what that means to you. And, and what are you specifically looking for here that would indicate that we're a, an academic program? Mm -hmm. And I kid you not, it took three classrooms of walking through before she looked at me and said, puzzles. <laughs> An academic program would have puzzles. And I said, we are the most academic program <laughs> you're going to find. And I, I don't tell that story to pat myself on the back right. or to my own horn. But what I am going to say is if I had gone off on that moral monologue, she would have left. And unintentionally, I would have reinforced mm -hmm. that myth that that the play program isn't academic. And my God, they don't even have puzzles there. Yeah. And simply by pausing, and granted, this woman had just walked in the door. I mean, relationship, we're talking five, ten minutes into it. Yeah. But, but instead of being in such a hurry to sell the program, I, I, I'm instead facilitating her initial observation of that program. Yeah. Which can be tricky because at the end of the day, and I know there's probably a bingo spot for how many times Lisa Murphy says that on her <laughs> podcast. Um, but – I don't want people there because they've been convinced or coerced or sold. I want them there because either they believe it right out the gate, uh -huh. the philosophy, or they're willing to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if, you know, if, but if you're there just because, you know, I don't even know, I don't know what convincing would look like, you know, yeah. but I had a dad stop me when I left teaching preschool and opened my first family childcare, and I ran into him at the grocery store. And he was a big business owner in San Diego. He owned like six restaurants. Every I mean, he was he was famous in town. Uh -huh. And he said, "You." He goes, "I'm giving you 30 seconds to sell me on your program as to why I should pull him out of here and put him in with you." And I'm like, "I don't want anybody in my program that has to be sold." Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it's kind of like the interview process, the job interview process. If either side is not being honest about what they want or expect, it's not going to work. Yeah. And same thing when you're talking to a family and giving a tour. I mean, of course, you've got to fill spots and, and, and make money or whatever. But 
you're just giving you, yourself so many headaches if you, you are, work you that are. hard to convince somebody to come in. And then bottom line is they're probably not going to be happy if they took all that convincing. Or, you know, it could be a big success story, but it's, it's Yeah, if you go outside every single day, you know, if you do not do worksheets, I'll circle it back to your yeah. topic. If you yeah. do not do worksheets in the name of readiness, that parent needs to be told that right. at, at day one. Yeah. Because if you say, oh, we do that here just to make them happy, they're going to be giving you a headache and and you're going to be giving your own self a headache. Right, right. You or you're going to be caving and offering worksheets now because you exactly. told one family. And then there's that teacher you've been arguing with for a year who wanted to do worksheets all along. <laughs> and now we're perpetuating a, a myth in the yes. community of either what de- developmentally appropriate practice is or is not or what play-based is or yeah. is not because we're not staying true to what we know to be best practice yeah there's another Um, article and i can remember the title and i know it was an exchange uh but i can't remember who wrote it but it's it's just called it's time to stop defending play and that's the whole point is that the more the harder we work to defend something like that like play the the less convincing it is because it's like bribing a kid with a brownie to eat broccoli Mm -hmm. there must be something really something wrong wrong with that broccoli if you're working that hard to get me to try it and, and so we do ourselves a disservice being defensive instead of just saying, well, matter of fact, this is what I do. And if you don't like it, then this is not for you. <laughs> yeah, I had uh, when I first started my child care center. Um, well, it, it, what I was about to say doesn't matter. The tours, it came to my attention that the tours were taking like two and three hours. Ooh. And I was like, whoa. And. What ended up happening, I, I followed them on a tour one time just, just to kind of see, you know, what, what was going on. And they were doing, Heather, exactly what you just said. They were splaining everything <laughs> that was happening. And in, so, so because they were overly saying things like, well, when the kids are stacking, that's fine motor development. Uh-huh. And when they're painting, they're learning about color mixing. And it sounded like they were defending something that on some level was wrong and and I I talked with them about that after I'm like you're you're selling it way too hard like the parents should be like why are they working so hard at Uh this you know and so then I did the next tour and we walked into that same classroom and we kind of hung back for a few minutes and I said to the families I'm wondering if you're seeing anything in here that you need additional clarification Uh on Yep. And that was it. And so not that what I was doing was right or wrong or better or not. It's just that splaining can yep. shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah. The only the only real explanation that I give, and it's not really explanation, it was more sort of trying to manage expectations when I was doing tours, was to tell them, you know, we're about to walk into a room with 23-year-olds and it's going to look big picture Ah, sort of busy and overwhelming, but so focus on groups of two or three and see what they're engaged that's, in. That's that, excellent. That helped them so much, it seemed like, because if you aren't in the field and seeing that classroom every day, it's hard to see how learning can be happening when 20 kids are just doing their own thing. You know, Heather, though, that's actually good strategy for people who are starting to go down more of a play path. Uh-huh. People who are, might generally, like you just said, big picture, are seeing it as just a chaotic mess. Uh-huh. 
when really when you go down another layer and only focus on the small, you might start to see how those small pieces fit together like a puzzle Mm -hmm. instead of just seeing that overarching like Yes, and lots of pictures, especially if you've done something like when they ask about readiness and you say, what does that mean or what does that look like? Then you can say, I remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about readiness and you had some concerns about math. And so I took this picture Mm. today because I saw, you know, he was working on whatever it might be, sorting something or classifying. Which is different than staging the play in order to meet the math question. You (laughs) took a picture. (laughs) Exactly. I'm a big fan of that. Because I I do think that's important of, of, of seeing that we don't really have a thousand new ideas which the, with each workshop or with each podcast episode. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of opportunity to reinforce, I think, a couple core key Big concepts. Yeah. Yes. Yep. yes. Yes, yes, yes. I would yes. agree. Yeah. So I have one one other thing I wanted to bring into this conversation. Um, and that – so I just wanted to get your reaction to this more than anything maybe. Maybe there's two. Maybe it's all the same thing. But I wonder how much of it – uh, of this conversation about parents making demands and us feeling like we have to cave sometimes uh, is that a lot of us are women in these conversations. Mm. A lot oh, of big time moms and a lot of women working in childcare and women are just supposed to know kids. Like culturally, we're just supposed to be the nurturing moms. Myth. Exactly. But I, <laughs> but I wonder how much of that falls into this too. Like, that's why it's so hard for a mom to maybe think, oh, okay, she has a good point about. Well, let's be honest. Women can be very competitive, yes. especially when it comes to their own children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it does a disservice when we, when we pussyfoot around. That. No, no, but I'm saying it. I think when we're not willing to direct that elephant in the room head on, yeah. it can come back and bite you in the butt, um, especially in an infant room oh, yeah. when. And when a uh, when when mamas or daddies or parents or families when they don't realize um, again because they're not early childhood experts yeah. that children can effectively attach and form attachments healthy t- attachments with more than one person right. they don't like me better right. they, they don't they, you know and 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 I and I riff on that just and as you shame know and, on and, the caregivers who make jokes that they do yeah because yes because they don't they yeah. don't and you're you're. You're not strengthening your relationship with the mom or the primary, the other primary caregiver when when you when you imply, oh well, you know they st- they stop crying ten seconds after you exactly. left. You, you can keep that shit to yourself. <laughs> you do not need to let them know. That helps no one. I yeah. I I have though I have reminded parents that because um, sometimes children start childcare and you know this right before object permanence yes. kicks in. Yes. <laughs> They don't cry when they get dropped off because they have forgotten that you even brought them there. Not forgot them, but, you know, they they don't have that image still in their head. And then then about two, three, four, five months after they've been in program for a while, now baby starts crying when mom drops off. What's wrong? What happens? They don't like being here anymore. Exactly. (laughs) And that is a window of opportunity to maybe share what you know about child development. I actually told a mama one time, it's a compliment. Because before this happened, she didn't even know right. who you were and what right. you were doing. She now knows. Yep. I always like, say that's a sign that her brain is growing. Exactly. <laughs> that's actually good. Yeah. It might be sad for you, yeah. but it's actually showing us that your child is exactly where they need to be on a developmental um, trajectory. So circling back, because I yeah. got off on a, on a tangent, but um, I, I think... 
I think women, being very general, mm-hmm. but our, our, our profession can attract people uh-huh. who are not necessarily um, emotionally as stable as they should be in order to do this job. Right. I mean, I have gone on record saying that our profession attracts broken people. And I have and repeated you saying that. <laughs> I, yeah, so for me to deny it, it would be worthless. I believe it. It's, it's yeah. true. And I believe, I mean, there's, I, that's, a, that's a master's thesis right yeah. there. It, and a doctoral dissertation, and that's that's another workshop. Yeah. Um, so I think to not acknowledge that sometimes people in this profession can be intimidated by somebody older than them yes, or younger I, than them, and 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 I think there's even room for the conversation of if you are a younger early childhood mm-hmm. person and your parents are older than you, or maybe you don't have children, yes. and so we we keep you know like notching away chipping away at our own professional credibility and and confidence. And a lot of times we're doing it to our own selves. Yeah. That's the other thing I was going to say, age and whether you're a parent yourself can sometimes be intimidating. And, you know, I had a, when I was a director, I had a teacher in one of the preschool classrooms and she was the best. And I wish I had 12 of her. Um, She was so good and thoughtful and intentional. And um, then I hired like an assistant for her room who was, not that great, but the lead teacher had no children and the assistant teacher had like four children. Uh, and so one day the lead was in my office and she was like, well, I, I want to keep doing it this way, but she doesn't buy in and she's a mom. And I'm like, uh-huh. no, that's not <laughs> stick with what you know and what we've been mm-hmm. doing and what you, um, and it's not mom bashing at all, No, no, no. but it, but, and yes, just because you've had a child, doesn't mean you know about group childhood right. development. You know about your child. You know about your child, yes. and that's awesome. And I yes. want to know what you know about your child. Exactly. And, and I want to use that in order to be the best that I can be for your child. But having a three-year-old does not mean you know what to do with a room full of 18 three-year-olds. Exactly. That's right. You're, you're, they can be the expert on their child. I'm the expert on children and yes. group care. Yes. And, and that kind of dynamic. And we, and we can bring it together. Yes, 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 yes yeah. definitely. And Bev Boz used to say that once you have set up your environment, 99.9999% of your job is parent education. Uh-huh. And that is, I would say that is still 100% accurate. Yeah. Um, I agree. And everything Bev Boss says is 100% accurate. <laughs> Let's just end it on that. Everything Let's she's ever said that. is wonderful and magic. <laughs> All right. Any last thoughts? Because I think we have done that one. Well, you know, I'll give a shameless plug to my uh, former professor, Laurel Bongiorno, out of Champlain, because she did her doctoral dissertation on parent parental perspectives of play. Uh-huh. And since getting and defending her doctorate, she has written numerous articles uh, on this exact topic, on uh-huh. how parents are responding to what we call play and their understanding of what we're calling play. So Laurel Bongiorno um, out of Champlain, I'll give you a, a quick nod. Yeah. Awesome. How do you spell her last name? Um, yeah. Uh, B- Bongiorno. It's Italian, like B-O-N-G-I-O-R-N-O. Oh, forgive me if that's G-I-O. Like Bongiorno. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. Well, I don't have anybody to plug. But that's that was a good conversation. Thank you again for joining Thank me. Thank you for having me. I'm I sure. always love being a guest on your show. Yay. Awesome. Well, I'll let you go play with Kane. 
Yeah, you know, he, he fell asleep now, now that he peed. He's like a toddler. <laughs> he got his teeth met. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> well, then I'll let you go do something else. But thanks All again right. for being on. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on.